and what we saw when the pandemic hit and what any you know, general recession does. The first line item that businesses begin to rationalize is travel and expenditure budgets. So I think that's where we come in. We are a much more value for you um, form of accommodation than a traditional hotel. So welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the NUA podcast. I am here with Nitin Green, partner at NUA Capital, and a very, very special guest today, whom we've known for uh, a little under two years now, and who we've been really excited to work with and be part of his journey since day one. Uh, please join me in welcoming Ahan Bojani to our podcast. He is here to share his story, the path he took to raising one of the largest seed rounds in the region uh, from both local and global investors, and his vision for his company, Silk House. Ahan, welcome. Thanks for having me, Team Noah. Excited to be here. Thanks for coming. Why don't we start out by you telling us a little bit about yourself and your journey to create Silk House? Super. A little bit about me. I have had many careers over time, but I'm really building this company from the perspective of a passionate end user. I've stayed in a bunch of Airbnbs over time and I've seen many different forms of travel. I've stayed in hotels for months as well as a corporate traveler. And uh, I think what's really come to define this company is the fact that I believe that freedom of mobility is a human right. And that I think that when people spend time in new places and new contexts, that they need to solely focus on the reason that they're there and not how they're there, why they're there, and, you know, the four walls around them. Nice, nice. So as you've, as you've started the journey, because you and I have known each other for quite some time, longer than two years, and I remember our first conversation where we were brainstorming, like, ideas, and uh, there were a couple other ideas that, that we were flipping around at the beginning, but then, obviously, whenever you came upon the idea of Silk House, you, you came to me with, like, a vehemence that was, like, uh, I could tell that you were just going to do it. What were some of the pain points that you saw uh, in this um, in this industry that you felt compelled to fix? Yeah, I think if you look at short-term rentals as an industry, they've always been around, but if you look at how they've been experienced by new audiences, that's what's changed. So, I mean, 12 years ago, Airbnb really came up, and they upended the distribution of short-term rentals. So they bought a lot of new demand and new customer segments that otherwise were experiencing traditional hotel formats and hospitality into the equation. So what I saw was very different was, number one, <clears throat> businesses were beginning to book short-term rentals. Number two, that finding a good short-term rental on the Airbnbs of the world was actually like pulling a needle out of a haystack. And number three, that Asian economies had actually begun to understand the real estate potential of this business model. So that's kind of, you know, the forces of nature that changed. That's what told me that now was a better time than ever to build the business. And we continue to see the same three forces in, in play. You know what I what I really love about what Silk House is building and sort of the vision for Silk House and the brand that Silk House has built is... Speaking as a customer. Speaking as a customer, yes, actually, yes. Speaking as a customer about six months now. Um, often when you check out a new city, when you visit a new city, you're there for a couple of months, you might want to stay in a specific area because it's closest to work or because it's closest to your community of friends and whatnot. But let's say... You would, you would stay at a hotel, that hotel might not necessarily be in that same area. And so what I find really cool about the Silk House brand is that you're able to create a consistent brand across different parts of the city. Me, as a potential user, I'm not constricted to staying at a certain neighborhood or a certain location because my preferred hotel is there. <laughs> Silk House brand is everywhere across the city, in cool neighborhoods, in neighborhoods that make sense to people. Um, and that just 
adds a little, an extra layer of flexibility to me as a potential customer. Hence why I am now a regular user so um, or a customer. So that is something that I think that's another pain point that you guys have been able to solve for, at least for me. Thanks for trusting us. So now you're live in Dubai. Um, and Dubai has been uh, extremely successful. And now the next, uh, the next page in the story is to expand into different markets, obviously, right? Um, what, what are some of the things that you learned um, in your first, um, since inception, really, uh, in terms of operating in a city like Dubai um, that has kind of impacted your strategy going forward? Like, I think it's, it's fair to assume that the strategy from day zero is very different than the strategy of today, but the core of the business remains, right? But like, what are some of those strategic tweaks that you've kind of factored into the go forward outlook of the business in order to capture what has emerged as the opportunity? Yeah, we've had 16 months of unbelievable and fundamental learnings. I think what we started out by building was the largest tech-enabled operator of short-term rentals across these exciting emerging markets. And what we've uncovered is, yes, there's a wonderful business to be built in being a tech-enabled operator, but we've discovered that there's a much bigger business to be built in creating the infrastructure for the other operators to run in this space. Mm -hmm. So I think that's been the first shift in thinking, right? Rather than compete, let us enable. The second shift in thinking has really been in who our actual customer is. We thought that our customer were, I mean, our customer originally was the end user of the product, right? The leisure traveler or the enterprise traveler. Very much so that remains true. But actually this model is all about, you know, really creating a strong supply value proposition. Any two-sided marketplace, we have to jumpstart one side. Ours is supply. So really we've redefined the, the real customer in this business as the real estate asset owner, the individual asset owner and the institutional asset owner. So I think these are key learnings in our business model. We've also understood, you know, how much capital it takes to really run a business that is operational. We've understood what it takes to run a business that is an enabler business as well. So we've just got a much better idea of what our capital stack needs to look like over time. Okay, cool. Can we deep dive on that a little bit? Um, I think I, I think for a lot of entrepreneurs out there, and 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 for a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs out there, it's um, it's a tricky proposition to kind of tweak your strategy, and it's often very very daunting to be able to do that um, efficiently so that you're capturing the opportunity that's right in front of your face. Um, a lot of the times, also whenever you're living and breathing this, probably like in your case, twenty hours a day, seven days a week. Um, you're, you're so far into the weeds that it's kind of hard to zoom out to a strategic level. And one of the skills of an entrepreneur is going extremely deep and then zooming out like in, in like kind of rapid high frequency. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that process? Like, how did you, like, obviously you recognized an opportunity, but what was the process of how you actually decided to make this um, strategic revision? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, it's not like we had like a glamorous aha moment, right? I mean, it was a series of micro aha moments um, and really logic that we pieced together. But uh, yeah, I remember we, I mean, the business has been doing very well. And the first model that we started with, you know, we've identified that that is a profitable business in and of itself. So we said to ourselves, okay, with the same amount of capital, can we build a much larger business by doing things a little bit differently? So about three months ago, we undertook a time box experiment. We took four weeks and we said, let us do what we can do with this new business model that we're testing, which is a lot more asset light and really capital light. 
And we said, let us just extract learnings. The, the goal of these four weeks is to figure out what we can do, what we can't do, and like learn as much as we can. And we performed tons of different micro experiments within those four weeks. So it took actually putting those learnings together, putting them on the shelf for a solid weekend, not actually thinking about them, and coming back with a fresh perspective on a Monday morning to figure out that actually there was a different business to be built. And it also took having multiple different opinions in the room, right? Mm -hmm. Having a pair of fresh eyes to say, hey, this is the most obvious thing, but you know, might this other business model be better? Um, I mean, the best insights are often the most obvious insights, and they can come from anyone and everywhere in the room. Yeah, so let's, uh, let's talk about that, like the additional insights that help guide like the, the strategy. You started out as a single founder, right? Which is a tough thing, right? Like some people um, thrive in that environment, but I think it's, it's safe to say that whenever you have um, uh, good team members in the room surrounding you, then it's easier to uh, make the decisions that need to be made in the most efficient way possible. So um, tell us a little bit about your team and, and, and the team that you built, because, you know, there's, there's two kind of philosophies out there. Maybe there's more, but let's just highlight two. Uh, one is to build your team from kind of the ground up, um, starting with kind of the executional layer first and then building on top of that. And the other is to build it top down, to start with the leaders of, um, of the organization um, within the founding team or outside of the founding team and then kind of build teams underneath them and have them build the teams underneath them. Um, you've kind of chosen the latter, um, which is something that I, I also believe in, um, but it's definitely not the only way to do it. But tell us about like um, some of the guys that you brought in and how they kind of helped you and continue to help you make those, make those decisions. Yeah, I'll, I'll spend some time talking about three core personalities in our business. The first is my co-founder, Ashman. Um, so yes, I did start the business as a solo founder. I was actually looking for a co-founder, but I found the business opportunity so compelling and so time-bound, i.e. if I didn't seize it right at that moment, I believed somebody else would, that I couldn't wait to find a co-founder for the business. Yeah. So um, the business started and you know, luckily we capitalized and we got off to the races. And um, about three months in, I intersected through a friend of ours who was also in the short-term rental space globally. Interestingly, he was running a company that was really prominent in South America. And he was a micro, I mean, he was a major advisor to me, but a micro investor in our company as well. So he connected me to somebody who um, had really been running product and technology for him. Yeah. And this was Ashman. So it was quite interesting. I remember we spoke on a Wednesday evening. This was right when COVID was searing and, you know, I was down with COVID locked up in my room. And we had a very lively conversation where I was just learning and cross-pollinating from uh, Ashman and his company's experience on the other side of the world. And I got a message from him about 20 minutes later saying, I really enjoyed that conversation. Here's my WhatsApp. Can we talk again very soon? So I was intrigued. And I think, um, you know, that, that conversation just moved really quickly. I think what needs to happen really does happen in the end. But ultimately, two weeks later, he was on a flight to Dubai. He was very compelled by the fact that we were building an adjacent business in a side of the world that he actually had roots in. Yeah. So that was quite interesting. Um, he came over to Dubai, he met our team, which at the time was four other people. And um, I took him to India because that is a big uh, frontier geography for us. That's where we were building up our technology team as well. And, uh, you know, I really wanted to see how he interacted with the different markets that we were in. Um, and he loved it and I loved it too. So we really, at that moment, I think we realized that one plus one was far more than two. And we said, let's go for it. So he joined the business. Um, since then, we've had two um, amazing other, you know, very, very, very senior hires and we're looking at more. Uh, one is Ankit. So we realized that there was obviously a lot of money involved in this business. And, you know, we do deal with a high volume and velocity of payments. 
So we made the decision very early on to bring on board Ankit uh, that you introduced us to. Um, he's been phenomenal. He has really anchored the team. He's got a wealth of experience in the business. And I think he's really put in the discipline that we need to sort of run a ship like this. And most recently, we brought in um, a head of engineering whose name is Sandesh. So he's actually the number two guy at Oyo and their technology team. I'm super excited for him to join the business. It happens later this month. Uh, we have been talking about product and technology for a while, and Ashwin and I are from product backgrounds, but I think we finally really got a very serious yeah. just in the business. So yeah. we're ready to test. Yeah, it's, it's, the team is exciting in and of itself, right? Really, really exciting. And, and you know, whenever I'm talking to um, people that are considering to, to um, enter into entrepreneurship or people that are very uh, early days in the journey, one of the major things that they're intimidated by is the acquisition of talent. And they're like, why, how can I, like the prevailing assumption is how can I recruit someone um, when I don't have anything? How can I convince someone to come and quit their job that is probably well-paying or they're from a, from a corporate or a large startup? Um, how can I convince them to come here? Who in their right mind would do that? But you did it, right? Like, and could you like maybe shed a little bit of light on the how. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming a lot of it has to do with personality meshes, but was there, are there any like tactics or strategies that you used in order to acquire this, uh, this amazing talent? Yeah, I think talent has no shortage of destinations to go to today. Yeah. So it's not just the performance of a company. I mean, of course, every company needs to be financially viable. So strong unit economics are a big part of the story for getting the best talent. I think values are really important, right? Not the decisions you make, but how you make them. Like, what are your parameters, right? Like, what are your principles? Not just as an individual founder, but as an organization. That needs to align with senior people who come on board. And then they make, you know, junior people align with that as well, right? That's what a cohesive organism looks like. So I think that was a big part of the conversation too. I think with many of the folk coming on board as well, I mean, there was no doubt that they were taking salary adjustments downwards to come and work with an early stage startup, right? There's a huge amount of risk you assume. You become a part owner of the business by way of equity as well. So you really have to back the equity story of the company. I think what's really helped is, and we've done this in you know most, most instances of senior hiring, is providing visibility into what a package looks like today with some certainty over what a package could look like over time. So just that transparency and that visibility into saying, okay, you know, one is joining today, here are the parameters but here's how they adjust over time potentially. Here's a path to the next step. Yeah. I think that has actually helped us hook great talent. Yeah. And the vision aspect was huge, right? Like I, I spoke to all of them after the fact. Um, and, and I think the thing, um, maybe I haven't told you this before, but I think the thing that pushed them over a line was just uh, a strong belief in the vision, which is a function of how you communicate the vision, both, um, both with words and energetically. Um, would you agree with that? Like that's a big, uh, a big factor in kind I of like, yeah. That. I mean, we are taking on the world's largest asset class, residential real estate. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's dinosaur in many traditions, right? There's a lot that needs to be done and we've seen disruptions that are small, but they've awoken entire markets. So I think that's definitely bringing a lot of people to the table. I think also the other corollary is that we somehow have put together a company of people that just loves to travel, mm -hmm. right? These are people who are passionate and users yeah. of the product. And I think having that empathy is really, um, you know, that's really helped build the business too. And you know what, whenever we do speak to any of um, the team members at Silk House, really it's a great culture that comes out. And I think that's a very important building block that as you move from an early stage company towards a later stage company that's now expanded across borders, 
this becomes even more important, right? And you want to try to maintain that, right? But what are your thoughts on that? How do you maintain culture as your company scales and, again, grows into different countries and grows into many, many more uh, team members? Yeah, I'm actually, like, that's an experiment in, in, that is literally live right now. I'm spending mm-hmm. a lot of time thinking about that. Our tech team is coming up in Bangor. We have another operational team in a new geography that we're standing up. How do we make sure that those same principles, values, that same vision and passion like truly aligns? And I think, I mean, of course, there's a lot that remote communication can do. Mm-hmm. Zoom is wonderful and like you can really stay in touch, right? You can really engage. But there is nothing short of in-person time together. Yeah. So I think that's one thing that we're super keen on, right? Yes, we operate in a highly decentralized manner where there are many different places. But actually having not just full-time employees, but even part-time employees who are associated with the business who are remote, come and spend some time with us in person, wherever we define our HQ as, which today is Dubai, is super important. I'll give you an example. We have sort of a studio chief of staff that we have on a part-time basis. She's based in Zurich. The first thing that we did when she engaged with us, flew her out to Dubai and said, come and get to know us, really understand how this business operates. That's the best way to add value going forward. The last thing you want whenever you have uh, teams in disparate parts of the world is that they seem uh, like a a back office operation rather than being part of the team itself. Uh, And that's an easy thing to happen. Um, So I think, you know, there's there's a lot of creative ways to do it. But I agree with you 100 percent. There's no substitute for, you know, the CEO or the like one of the co-founders or anyone from senior leadership or everyone kind of making regular trips to to just let the team know that, you know, you're part of this and, you know, we're all we're all in this together and tell me your challenges and tell me the opportunities and, and, and so on. So I fully agree with that. Like and there's there's absolutely no substitute. Let's move on to something else, Um, the macroeconomic environment. How is this, um, obviously we all know the state that we're in right now, it's challenging and it's challenging in multiple fronts. Uh, consumer spending is, is, is going down, travel is, or leisure travel is going, is going down a little bit. Um, and, and obviously the funding environment is, is tightening a little bit in the, in the GCC. Um, we're definitely, um, more insulated and, and have proven, um, and have shown a certain degree of resilience to this relative to the rest of the world, which is great. Um, but, um, what occupies your mind these days? Like, uh, it seems like on the demand side within, within Dubai, you're doing fine, right? Like haven't had a lot of negative impact there. What about the other elements of the macroeconomic environment? Like, what are you thinking about over the next six to 12 months in terms of, um, risk mitigation? Yeah, I think when you talk about macroeconomics or when one talks about macroeconomics, there are three dimensions that I think really matter to a business like Silkhouse and that preoccupy me. So the first is supply, the second is demand, and then the third is actually capital available for the business to grow. So if I start with supply, I think interestingly, an economic downturn is a very, very good time for any supply-driven business on the real estate side. Yeah. You just have ample residential real estate that becomes available on much more creative terms from much more amenable you know, asset owners globally. So I'm actually looking forward to that. And I think especially in a market like Dubai, we've been operating in a, in a little bit of a bull run when it comes to residential real estate. Mm-hmm. So I look forward to the normalization, certainly, not just in this market, but in many markets globally. We'll just get a lot more supply on better terms. The second is demand. So I think demand is where um, we're forming a hypothesis, but I think there are some very interesting nuances that actually lead me to be optimistic about next year. Enterprise distribution of short-term rentals is a massive theme and focus for us. 
and what we saw when the pandemic hit and what any you know, general recession does. The first line item that businesses begin to rationalize is travel and expenditure budgets. So I think that's where we come in. We are a much more value for you um, form of accommodation than a traditional hotel. What we will see is that the frequency of travel will go down, but the duration will go up. And as businesses really look to trim their budgets, we actually believe that the spend on short-term rentals relative to traditional hospitality accommodation will go up. So we're excited to power that. And I think um, that's going to be a major headwind for the business. I think certainly on the capital side, the third, the third dimension, uh, there's no doubt that there's uncertain waters, right? What we know is that interest rates are rising. What we know is that capital is becoming scarce. Uh, what we know is that it's also becoming more costly, right? Not just on the debt side. I mean, interest coverage is going up. But certainly on the equity side, you know, there's a bigger slice of the pie that needs to be given out. And that's all well and good. But I think what we also knew is that capital is still available for the best businesses. Yeah. A business with strong unit economics does have funders out there. And that's our focus. Okay. If I may add to that, I think on the asset owner side, right, from a supplier side, plus also on the capital side, um, as next year, you know, it turns out to be a little bit more challenging perhaps than this year or last year. Um, speaking on lines, on, on P&Ls, one of the first things that they're going to need to do as well is figure out ways to how to better manage their units, how to better um, cost manage their units and effectively manage their units, right? And I think that's where some of the solutions that Silk House offers actually help solve for, right? So. Yes, it might be challenging, but I personally uh, see an opportunity as well for whatever whatever it is that you're building also to solve supply supply issues or opportunities on that end as well. Yeah, 100%. I think our mission and vision, I mean, the only reason for any supply to engage with us and vice versa is that we can add value to mm-hmm. it. So value comes in the form of expanding revenue on the asset. Value also comes in the form of optimizing costs on the asset. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, if we can extend, you know, the actual yield given to these asset owners, especially in a down environment, I think there's a major value proposition there. I think there's one value proposition we haven't really touched upon, and that's flexibility, right? We've spoken about flexibility on the demand side a lot. I think there's a lot of conversation about that. But today, many global asset owners are also looking for flexibility in the revenue management and sort of the operation of their real estate. Yeah. So that is a key theme that we sort of touched um, very heavily with our business as well. Okay. Very interesting. Uh, Coming back to the investor community, um, if you had a wish list um, for how uh, VCs could better engage with you, um, what would be on that list? Yeah, that's a great question. I think consistently being in touch is important, right? You know, having not just interactions with like founder level and C-level in a company, but actually getting to know the company and the team. I mean, ultimately, that's what, you know, is being backed over here. So I think that's really important. I think having investors that are very proactive about sharing updates with us on PCs as well. Here's what's happening in the macro environment. Here's what's happening sectorally. Here's what's happening, you know, even regionally, right? That's super important. And I think the best definition of an investor is one that is forever introducing you to your next sources of capital as well. So I think for me, that's what a good investor looks like. If you top that off with a group of people whom you respect and whom you can intellectually engage with and also have a great time with, I mean, that is what the best investor looks like. Is there anything we could do better? 
No, I, I'm super happy on all fronts, right? I mean, every everything that I said is what I had in mind when, you know, we think of the newer relationship. I'm excited to get to know the newer portfolio community. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, I mean, especially because we do have a B2B angle, that's going to be really interesting for us. Yes. Uh, just introducing us to other startups and potential customers over time. Yeah. That'll be really interesting. But um, yeah, that's it, it, it takes a while to form a village, you know, yeah. and I think we're mm-hmm. finally there. Yeah, we should definitely do that, by the way. Like, um, I think, you know, in informal ways, we've, we've connected you with other founders or you've met other founders and things and, and things like that. But we could do it in a, in a more structured way. And I think it's not just you, right? Like for, for all of our, a lot of the B2B focused companies, um, there's a th- I think there's a lot of mutual benefit from, from not only, you know, becoming customers of one another or, or utilizing them, but... I think one of the things is is founder sharing because um, everyone is going through similar ish problems. Um, no one's problem statements are the same; they're all different. But there is enough overlap in problems that regular discussions and, and learning opportunities would only be beneficial. Like it cannot hurt. Um, and even if you extract five minutes of wisdom from a one-hour conversation, it, it could be, you know everything in the world, you know? Um, so uh, I think, would you be open to engaging in one of those? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So, I mean, I think Friday's happy hour this last week was a great step in the right direction. Yeah. These informal environments where you just get to know people on, you know, casual terms, I think that's where relationships are born. Um, I've seen a variety of different formats work here. I mean, I've been part of organizations where you have formal forums and it's sort of a very confidential environment where you dive really deep with the same people all the time. That's powerful. I've seen environments where there are sort of like needs and lead sessions, right? So it's high volume. You're all sitting around the table and you go through different asks that different people have. And then, you know, connections come forward that way from the group, right? So I've seen the depth work. I've seen the transactional work. I think the point is that just anything that gets founders together would be phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I feel like I've been doing all the question asking. It seems a little one-sided. Do you have any questions for, for, for me or yeah, Kassan? I'm curious. I mean, you guys have obviously a DNA within the firm, right? And I think that, that is very well represented by everyone here. How do you go about thinking about the founders you partner with, right? Are you also, yes, there are requirements that you look at, right, and different criteria, but where does DNA fall in that criteria? It's high, right? Like, so if, if I zoom out a little bit, like um, the founder criteria, whenever you're in the early stage, I think, um, and I'll speak, I'll speak for myself, and, and I think NUA generally operates in the same way, the founder criteria is disproportionately heavily weighted. Um, it's, it's super important because we know at the early stage um, the business that you're investing in is um, obviously going to change and go through many iterations. And we've accepted that as a norm and a reality and is something that, you know, in often cases we encourage. And, and I think that's... I, I don't like using the word pivot, but like uh, refining your strategy and the general direction of the business is is a good thing. And I and I I, I kind of hope that um, the wider community recognizes that as a good thing. So whenever we're looking at founders, you know, some of the the micro criteria or the things that we look for is first and foremost the ability to execute. You know, like um, I'm a firm believer that strategy is 5% of the equation. I'm sorry, I know I'm t- 
talking to an ex-strategy consultant. <laughs> but I, I, I believe that strategy is 5% of the Excellent. equation. X is the keyword. And 95% is execution. So, you know, whenever, whenever we, um, uh, obviously the easiest case is whenever we're looking at a founder that has been through this journey before and has a track record of execution, that is kind of like um, um, the no, I wouldn't say the best case scenario, but a scenario where our work in terms of um, forming an opinion is 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 easier, right? It's just a lot less work. Um, but that that executional criteria, like uh, the work ethic, the ability to kind of roll up your sleeves and get into the trenches, um, is is huge. And then there's this X factor of just like an innate personality trait of getting things done. You know, um, and I think um, I think that's very important. I'm I'm going to skip over the obvious ones. Like, there's obvious traits that you know, like founders need to have in terms of resilience and things like that. Um, like another one that we kind of look at that is that is probably maybe a little less obvious is confidence. Um, like you don't. Um, I would say like uh, confidence is a fine line and a fine balance. I think the degree of confidence required is is high, um, definitely. Like in, in order to be a successful entrepreneur, you need to have a disproportionate belief in yourself uh, relative to the rest of the world. Like entrepreneurs ubiquitously are people that really believe in themselves. And that's important. And that requires a certain degree of confidence. But at the same time, we don't, like, um, we don't want that confidence to go beyond that healthy level where um, confidence overpowers um, fear and concern because fear and concern is an important driver for execution, right? Like respecting your competitors, um, respecting the market dynamics, um, and respecting the opportunity and the risks is absolutely critical. And if that confidence level creeps into the area of arrogance, um, often it's to the detriment of the business and ultimately to the detriment of the founder. So that, that tightrope of confidence is, is very, very important, I would say. Um, and then there's also just a vibe, right? Like we, we approach this, um, and I think a lot of other investors do as well, as a, as a real partnership and as, as, um, as uh, corny as that sounds, it's it's actually true. Like we do try to spend a lot of time with a uh, with um, with our companies and with our founders and their teams. Um, we try to do it in a collaborative way. Like there's there's we could spend time and that's no problem, but that could just be meetings with a series of updates and just be like, okay, great to see you, thanks very much. I would not classify that as a very productive interaction. I think a productive interaction is where we're brainstorming, we're challenging each other, we're presenting different opportunities and perspectives, we're evaluating opportunities, we're evaluating teams, structures, culture, next market entry, all of these types of things, execution plans, product roadmaps, technology, all of those things are productive conversations. Um, and as a result of that, you know, in my experience, it's easier to collaborate when you like the person, you know? Um, so um, I think that vibe factor sounds weird, but it's, it's really important. Like, uh, I like to look forward to the meetings I'm going to have. Um, and that's why um, I... I think at NUA, we, we prioritize vibe also, like, and, and that kind of touches on your DNA aspect, um, I think. Um, um, 
and and that generally yields the best outcomes um, in terms of our relationship and our collaboration and our um, value creation and all of that. So, um, yeah, I'd say those are the top three things um, that we kind of prioritize. But, um, yeah, super important. Yeah, I think, of course, I'll agree with what Nitin said, and I think that's part of it is because we, we kind of look at the same things. And one thing that I will add on top, I think, is uh, sort of, and it actually builds on the concept of confidence is a founder's willingness for she or he to be transparent in coming back and asking for a little bit of guidance, a little bit of direction, a little bit of support, right? Having that open communication with a fund, with us, is super important for us, right? Because we know that things are not going to be perfect from day one. They're not going to be perfect from day 10 even, right? But it's something that a partnership is meant to figure out together, right? So if the founder sees us as a partner and is willing to come to us with questions or, or support or guidance or introductions even, that this something is this is something that I think becomes important for us as well um, because it gives us additional confidence in what the founder is doing, right? Because um, everything else can be figured out, but if you don't have that sort of open communication, um, then... Uh, I just think that's really important to have early on, right? Yeah, I, I think I'm thinking back to our conversations, you know, every time we do a fundraise and we poke our heads up and look at new investors to bring into our cap table and to sort of really partner with. I think a word that I don't actually like using is investment because it implies a one-way mm-hmm. relationship. I actually use the word capital partnership, right? Because that's really what this is, right? It's a multi-year engagement. You know, the idea is to mutually add value and value comes not just in the form of capital, but in so much else. You as Nua have helped us with so much. You've helped us think through our product roadmap, Nathan, you specifically. You've really met a lot of our senior leadership talent, and you've helped us figure out who are good people we want to bring into the business. You've helped us think about the vision and new markets that we want to expand in. That, you could have just given capital, but you gave all of that, right? So I think that's what's immeasurable, especially at the earliest stages. Yeah, I think it was easy uh, because it was fun. You know, like this is one of the the, the meetings. Whenever I see a, a Han on my on my calendar, I'm like, all right, like I, I kind of get. I, <laughs> I'm like this guy again. Yeah, no, I'm kidding. Like I, I get actually excited. I look forward to. It. I'm like, okay, good. Like we're gonna finish off the day with a fun meeting. Um, so yeah, like I think uh, I think it's been great. I I think our partnership so far has been uh, amazing, um, and I think. I want to deepen it further, and uh, but at a minimum, I want to maintain the momentum. Like even if we maintain the momentum that we have now, that would be a victory in my opinion. Um, but I think we could do better. Like honestly, I think on our side, we could even do better. We could collaborate even deeper, and and I think we have to do another brainstorm session, you and I, and and figure out ways that we could kind of uh, get even more out of this. So totally agree. Yeah. Good. Um, well, uh, definitely appreciate you coming in. Um, I know this has been rescheduled a couple of times, but thank you for finding the time. I really enjoyed the conversation. I think uh, Gassan did as well. And um, yeah, it's been great seeing you and great working with you. No, we're so happy to have you guys on the journey and be uh, with us at every, every step of the journey. I think I'm just excited for the next three steps we get to take now. Likewise. Likewise, buddy. Okay. Excellent. Thanks. Thanks, Han. Thanks for coming in. And yeah, uh, thanks guys for listening in and we'll catch you next time. Thank you.